wish I wouldn't have invited a preacher to come in and preach. <laughs> We're so blessed this morning to have Dr. Matt Queen and his wife Hope is here with us also. Uh, Dr. Queen serves as L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism an associate professor of evangelism and associate dean for doctrinal programs at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. Um, he has several other accolades. You can read about those and see those, but I know you want to hear him. We've already been blessed during the Sunday school hour. We'll continue to be blessed now. Would you welcome Dr. Matt Queen? Thank you, Pastor. <clears throat> Honest to the Lord, I was sitting there listening to that worship. You know, when I called, um, was called to preach, I gave God my yes. So when I get an invitation to speak somewhere, I, I just say yes. I said yes to God back in 1993. Um, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, what in the I love Brother Charles. What in the world is he thinking letting me preach today instead of him? Uh, man, Brother Aaron, he knows how to lead worship, doesn't he? I was thinking, man, I wish he was my music minister. He was good. He is good. But he was a Southwestern grad, so that's uh, expected from him. So anyway, <clears throat> I hope uh, you've uh, brought your copy of God's Word today. And if you didn't, there should be one there in the pew rack right before you. And if you would, take your Bibles and open it up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18. And uh, today I want us to look at verse, Acts chapter 18, uh, specifically in verses 1 through 11. Acts Chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. The title of my message today is Conquering the Corinthian Cringes. Conquering the Corinthian Cringes. Conquering, having victory over the Corinthians, something that happened in Corinth, cringes. Now, some of you don't know that word, cringes. Uh, some of you may say when you get really afraid of something, you shake. Or some of you say, I get, got so scared, I trembled. Well, up in the mountains of North Carolina where I'm from, I'm just an old mountain preacher. We don't say trembling. That for rednecks up in the mountains of North Carolina sounds a little sissy. We say he got a case of the cringes. You know, he's shaking to death and afraid. And so today I want to talk to you about how each and every one of us, just like the Apostle Paul, can conquer the Corinthian cringes. Now some of you are saying, why in the world is there such a case? Is it communicable? How in the world do I catch the Corinthian cringes? As we look into the text today, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul, when he arrives in Corinth, he has every reason to be afraid. He has every reason to be afraid. We'll talk to you about why that is in just a moment. But while he's there, he still evangelizes. You know, Brother Charles, I don't know. I would think that there might be a little bit of an excuse. Maybe if we as Christians were persecuted for our faith, like Paul was, for us not to share the gospel. But friends, we are in a free country with no kind of repercussions for us if we share the gospel. And yet we keep our mouths silent. Some of us are afraid to do it. And so today I want to talk to you about how you can conquer the fear in evangelism. If you would, follow along with me in the text. I'm reading from the New King James. Chapter 18, book, book of Acts, verse 1. The Bible says, And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he said to them, and he stayed with them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when the Bible says when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. When they opposed and blasphemed him, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean and from now on I will go to the Gentiles. He departed from there and the Bible says he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was just right next door to the synagogue. 
Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to, the, uh, to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul, as he arrives in Corinth, he arrives, and the Bible says, if you were to, you don't need to turn there necessarily, but if you're writing down notes, look later on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, when he came to Corinth, he said, I came and I was with you at the very first, I came to you and was in fear and much trembling. When he arrived, he was fearful, he was shaken up. And in fact, we know that's the case, not only because Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 to that, which I just read, but also in this text, the Bible says, things got so fearful that Paul was visited in the middle of the night by a vision by Jesus. And he said, Paul, stop being afraid. This morning, I say to this church, stop being afraid. Don't be silent. Speak and tell people about Jesus Christ. This, today I want to talk to you about how to conquer witnessing fears in your life. Now, let me just say this. I said a little earlier in the first service. I, I was, you know, I've, I've studied evangelism. I've actually been practicing evangelism ever since I was eight years old. Let me just stop there and say that. I was saved at the age of seven. At the age of eight, my dad, who was a deacon, took me door-to-door evangelizing with him. I've never gotten over it. You know what? We as children do what our parents did. And so if you want to see a successful evangelism program that will continue long past your years, if your parents, if your grandparents in here, take your children, take your grandchildren and witnessing with you. They'll never get over it. So I've been doing it since 8, I'm 42 now, but I still get afraid. In fact, I want to share with you one of the scariest moments I've ever had in evangelism. This was about four years ago, and if any of you have been there at Southwestern Seminary, the bottom end of that campus, uh, there's a road that crosses it. And, and I was out witnessing door-to-door, uh, sharing the gospel there at the bottom end of the campus. I came across several houses. In one house, it was a nice-looking house. It was occupied there in the driveway by a truck and a number of Hispanic males were there on the front they'd just gotten off work and they were drinking recreational beverages they had just started let's just say it that way and so I went up to them and I thought how in the world am I going to talk to guys drinking beer about Jesus I mean how is it? and I got afraid and scared and wondered what you know how am I going to do this and so I just went up to them and and I just said, hello, sir, my name's Matt, this is Samuel, this is so-and-so. We're right over there from the seminary. We're here to tell you about how you can have peace with God through Jesus. And no sooner as I said that phrase, how you can have peace with God through Jesus, some of those Latino men began to laugh and chuckle it up. Well, you know, that just, I mean, they're drinking beer now. They're laughing at me. And I thought, how am I going to get control of this? I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I just looked at the biggest one of them. And I said, sir, is that funny? All of a sudden, I looked down in that guy's lap. Pastor, on his lap was lying a gun. Is that funny? You're going to think it's funny, you know. I, what in the world did I say? Is this funny? I, I didn't know what to do. I thought, what in the world do I do? And Dr. Patterson, uh, our president, he likes to carry firearms around a lot. Not, not, to, not, not to hurt the students, just to scare them really good. And so I thought, what would he do? And, and I said, I don't have guns. I've got these two, but they're kind of out of order. And So y'all see that. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And I, Brother Patterson, I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just feigned ignorant. And I just looked at him and I said, sir, you're not going to shoot me with that, are you? 
And the man says, no, man, this is a BB gun. I said, BB that thing behind you and let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> you know, all of us, and by the way, I didn't get shot, no BBs, I'm still here today, okay? All of us, no matter who we are, we have things that we fear that try to keep us from evangelizing. And what I want to do is I walk through this text. I want you to see what, were the, what was the source of Paul's fear in Corinth as it related to evangelism. And then I want us to look at the solution for Paul's fears and for everyone under the sound of my voice today. The solution for your fear in evangelism as we look into the text of Scripture. So as we look and we see that Paul has to have a vision from the Lord just not to be afraid, we wonder why does Paul come to them in fear and much trembling? Let me tell you about the source of his fear. If you were to turn there, I'm not asking you to, but if you were to turn there in Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that Paul comes to Antioch and Pisidia. And there in Antioch and Pisidia, he is preaching the gospel. Unlike Philip, who sees a revival in Samaria, the apostle Paul receives persecution and is expelled from Antioch and Pisidia, Acts chapter 13. He preaches the gospel, they persecute him, and they kick him out of the city and tell him never to come back. I'd be afraid too, wouldn't you? But then the Bible goes on to say, he goes in Acts chapter 14 and he goes into Iconium. And there, like before, he preaches the gospel, he evangelizes, and the Bible says the people responded by taking a violent attempt to stone him. They tried to get him right in the middle so everybody could throw stones at him and kill him dead. But he escaped. He escaped and he went to Lystra. Here he preaches the gospel. And these guys were a little bit more organized than the guys in Iconium. They actually do stone Paul. And they stone him with so many stones and rocks that they think he is dead. And they drag his body out to the edge of the city saying, if any more of you Christians want to come in here with your propaganda, this is what will happen to you. But God preserved Paul's life. Acts chapter 16, he comes into Philippi. And there he witnesses to a lady named Lydia who receives the Lord. Thank the Lord, somebody finally comes to know the Lord, you know. And so this happens, and then he makes his way into the town, and there's a demon-possessed young girl who's a fortune teller. And she's going around, and she's saying, look, it's servants of the Most High God. And after about two or three days of that, Paul gets kind of perturbed with her. He says, out from her in the name of Jesus. And immediately that demon comes out. Now you think people will rejoice for that. But the people don't like it because the men lost profit. And the Bible says they throw Paul and Silas in the jail. He went to jail for evangelizing. Now some of you are here and you thought that Jailhouse Rock began with Elvis Presley, right? It didn't. It's in the Bible. The Bible says that Paul and Silas began to sing and the jailhouse rocked. It rocked to its core. The doors came open. The fetters came off. And the Bible says the jailer was going to kill himself because he knew he was going to be in trouble. But Paul said, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And that man asked the question that's the most important question that anyone in the world could ever ask. Some of you today are asking that question. What must I do to be saved? And Paul, knowing he'd been in prison, knowing he had been stoned, knowing he had been expelled, expelled from the city, Paul didn't keep his mouth shut. And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they were. He leaves there and he goes to Athens. And there he's among the philosophers of the day. The Bible says there in the marketplace he begins to preach Jesus and resurrection. And these are strange things to their ears. They call him a babbler and they say, what does he want to say? And so they invite him up to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, a rock there formed right below where all of the false gods in Athens were housed. And there they are, and he preaches Jesus. And the Bible said that some believed, some say we'll hear you again on this matter, but the vast majority of them made fun of him and ridiculed him for what he did. 
Then we have our text, and the Bible says in verse 1, after these things, what things? After he preached and he'd been stoned, he'd been expelled, he'd been imprisoned, he'd been made fun of. After all those things, friends, you would be afraid too. And the Bible says, after these things, he departed from, the, from Athens and he went to Corinth. The Bible says, and as he comes into Corinth, he finds a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who was from Italy, and he had his wife Priscilla. This is a great couple who end up helping the Apostle Paul in a lot of his ministries, Pris Priscilla and Aquila. And the Bible says that Priscilla and Aquila are there in Corinth because, the Bible says here, verse 2, Claudius, he was the emperor, had commanded that all the Jews depart from Rome. Now, why in the world did Claudius the emperor tell all the Jews to get out? Here's the reason, historically we know. In that day, the Romans worshipped all manner of gods. I mean, they had so many gods, you couldn't even count them. By the way, these are false gods, little g. And they would worship them. But the one, and they wanted you to worship all those false gods, but the one that they really wanted you to worship was the emperor, Claudius. And the Jews, just like the Christians, believed not that there are many gods, but that there is one God. And when they would not bow the knee to Claudius, he said, get out of here. And so that's exactly what they do. And so the Bible says, having been expelled from Rome, Priscilla and Aquila are there, and the Bible says, Paul comes to him in verse 2. As they begin to talk with one another, the Bible says in verse 3, they find out that they know how to do the same thing. They both know how to make tents. In the original language, the Bible says that they were leather workers, tent makers. Now, what does that mean for us? Today, when we talk about a tent, we think of plastic and polymers and poles, don't we? I mean, we put all those things together and it just falls over, it blows over. But the kinds of tents that Paul and, uh, uh, um, and his companions made were not made of plastic and little polymers. They were made of leather. These were the kinds of tents that you'd put up, and they'd withlast the weather, the rain, the wind, and everything else. And the Bible says they come together, and they are working together as leather workers making tents. And so on Sunday... And on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, all the way up to dawn on Thursday, Paul and his companions here, Aquila and Priscilla, are making tents. But the Bible says something happens uh, there on Friday night into Saturday, which is the Sabbath. The Bible says this, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Some of you say, well, I'm not a professional. We, that's, we pay the preacher to evangelize for us. He didn't have to work like I do. You know what? That's not an excuse that the Apostle Paul had. He worked as a leather maker Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all the way up till dawn. And then on Saturday, you know what he did? He went to the synagogue and he began to preach about Jesus. It doesn't matter what your job is, whether you're a preacher we expect those people to evangelize. But whether you're a leather worker, whether you're an oil man, whether you're a whatever, you are required to evangelize too. And that's exactly what Paul did. And the Bible said he began to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Some of you are here and you say, you know what, I don't evangelize because I don't want to put together a sermon like the preacher does every week and stand up in the midst of a congregation and preach to them about the Bible. Well, you know what? That's not what Paul does here. If you look at that, verb, that word there in verse 4, the Bible says, not he preached there, but that he reasoned. He reasoned. Now, preaching, just like we're doing right now, unless I say something that tickles your spiritual funny bone, you're, you're going to say amen if that happens, but otherwise, I'm the one that's talking, Okay? And I'm going to try to persuade you to be an evangelist. But I'm not reasoning with you because reasoning in the original language really means to have a dialogue. What I'm doing is a monologue this morning. But a dialogue is where you're talking back and forth in conversation. Friends, God is calling you to evangelize, not to necessarily stand behind a pulpit. For some of you, he will. 
But he's calling all of us, whether we stand in the pulpit or not, to have conversations, to reason, to have dialogue, to tell people about Jesus and persuade them that he is the Christ, the anointed one of God, that God has sent to make us right with him. Some of you are here and you say, well, that's easy for you to say. You teach evangelism at the seminary. You've been to school for that. You've had training for that. I've never had anything like that. How in the world do you expect me to be able to have that kind of conversation? Because just like every other believer in the New Testament that had never had evangelism training. By the way, evangelism training and seminary were not around in this day. They didn't need it. You know what they needed? The Holy Spirit of God. And if you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, listen, I'm thankful for evangelism training. We want you to come this afternoon. But nothing substitutes for the Spirit of God filling you, giving you the words to say in those kinds of conversations. You say, well, I don't know what I'd even start. Let me just tell you something. If you here know enough of the gospel to have been saved by it, you know enough of the gospel to share it. Let me just say that again. If you're here and you know enough of the gospel to have been saved by it, you know enough of the gospel to share it. What saved you is what will save anybody else. You don't have to memorize an outline. You don't have to memorize A, B, C, D. You just need to tell them what saved you. Don't just tell them about what happened. Tell them what you believed in order to be saved. You don't have to memorize that. You already know that by heart. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Matt, I don't know what saved me. I don't know how to share the gospel. You may want to ask yourself, not making anyone doubt their salvation, but if you don't know enough of the gospel to share it, you better ask yourself, do I know enough of the gospel to have been saved by it in the first place? Maybe you're here today and you think you're a Christian just because you go to church, just because you got wet in a baptistry, just because you shook the preacher's hand. Friends, if shaking the preacher's hand, getting wet and coming to church would have made you right with God, Jesus Christ would have stayed on his throne in heaven. But that's not good enough. Now, that's what people who get saved do, by the way. You do belong to the church. You do get baptized. But you don't do that to save you. You do that because you're saved. God is calling you today to have conversations Reason with people through dialogue that Jesus is the Christ. And the Bible says, and when he did this, Saulus and Timothy came from Macedonia. They came from Philippi. We see this in First and Second Corinthians. We also see it in other places. Where when they came, they came bringing money to Paul. Because Paul was working, as I said, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, he was only able to evangelize in the synagogue on Saturday whenever the Sabbath came. But Paul and Timothy come, and the Bible says when they, Silas and Timothy come, that Paul, verse 5, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. When he... he arrived and those guys arrived with a gift from the church in Macedonia, Paul did not have to work as much as he was, and he could spend all of his time occupied, as it says here, telling the Jews about Jesus Christ. He spent all of his time. He was consumed with it. And the Bible says when he shared the gospel, guess what happened? Look at what it says in verse 6. They opposed and blasphemed him. Some of you say, I don't want to evangelize. I'm afraid to evangelize because I'm afraid they're going to reject me. Well, first of all, if you put yourself forward, they will reject you. But evangelism is not about putting yourself forward. It's about putting Jesus forward. And by the way, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, and in any other preacher's day, not everybody that they heard the gospel received the Lord. But I will tell you, not every time you share the gospel... Will you see someone come to faith in Christ? But friends, if you never share the gospel, you'll never see anyone come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, although some had believed earlier, Paul shares the gospel and they oppose and blaspheme him. How does he respond? The Bible says in verse 6, When they did this, he took his garment and he began to shake it, shook the dust off of it. Now, some of you have heard that saying, if you go and you evangelize someone and they don't respond, what are you supposed to do with your feet? 
Shake the dust. Y'all heard that before? Shake the dust off your feet. That's true. You're supposed to do that. But this is even more dramatic when he's shaking his garments. He's shaking the dust out of his garments. And in fact, if you were, you don't need to turn there, but if you were to look in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, verse 13, you'd see Nehemiah does the same thing. He shakes his garments and he says, If any of you would break the covenant, may God shake you out of this land. The Bible says he shakes his garments because they've rejected. And he says to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean and from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. You know what that means? That means everyone here, if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to share the gospel. And if you don't, on the last day, whether it's literal or figurative, I'll let you figure that out. But in some real way, the lost people that you've kept your mouth zipped and not told about Jesus, on your hands and on your head, their blood will be required of you. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but friends, you're going to be responsible for them. He said, look, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. I'm now going to go to the Gentiles from now on. Let me just tell you this. Here's the fact of the matter for everyone here today. If someone hears the gospel and believes it, God's responsible. Amen? But if someone hears the gospel and rejects it, they're responsible. But if they never hear the gospel, ma'am, you're responsible. Sir, yeah, you're, at, you're responsible. You up there in the balcony, you're responsible, and I'm responsible. There's a responsibility for us to take the gospel to lost and dying people. In fact, I don't know, at the, at the great white throne judgment, that's whenever God's going to judge all sinners. I don't know if we'll be there in the galley or not. But if we are, can you imagine that person in your life that you know is lost? That family member, that co-worker, that friend at school, that neighbor. Can you imagine they're there before God and he opens the books. And he says those most saddest words in creation. Depart from me, ye cursed. I never knew you. And they say, but Lord, I, but Lord I, I was a good person. Depart from me. But Lord, oh, wait a minute, I see up there in the balcony. That was my neighbor. He never said anything to me about it. God, why are you letting him in heaven but not letting me? Friends, I don't want to hear that. That's why I try to share the gospel with every person I can. Because if they hear it and reject it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. The Bible says he moves on and the Bible says he departs from there, verse 7, and he enters the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And not only does he hear the gospel, but Crispus, verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue, then believed on the Lord with all his household. Now people, though some had rejected, now there's starting to be some who believe. Some of you are here and think, well... If I get the right number with God, I'll be okay with him. Well, no, friends, that's not how it goes. God doesn't pick numbers of who's going to go and who's not. He has given everyone here an invitation to receive him. You say, how do I, how do I receive it? Well, you'd receive it the same way they did. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed. Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, How will they believe if they don't what? Here. Now listen, you ought to live your life right. You ought to live your mat, your message ought to match your lifestyle. But he didn't say they, they believe because they see. The Bible says they believe because they hear. That means you've got to use words. You've got to speak up. You've got to tell people about Jesus. And the Bible says that they begin to hear Paul, verse 8, hearing they believed. There's only two things that are stopping any person in the world from becoming a Christian. First of all, the conviction and preparation of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And second of all, for them to hear the gospel. Listen, I'm all for friendships. I love that. I'm all for helping those in need. But friends, let me tell you something. Those things other religions can do. 
They, they, they help people. They are friends with people. Christians are friends with people. Christians help people. But, but friends, the only thing that no other religion can do is go in the power of the Spirit through His conviction and share the unchanged gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what saves anyone. And the Bible says when they heard, they believed. Some of you are here today and maybe you've heard the message before. Maybe you've never heard it. But I'm here as a gospel preacher to tell you this. I don't care what your mama thinks about you. I don't care what your boss thinks about you. I don't care what your spouse thinks about you, your grandkids or your kids. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is disobedience. That means everyone here, no one is perfect. No one is perfect. We've all disobeyed God. We've all done what we wanted to do. Whether it was with our speech, whether it was with our actions, whether it's what we took into our bodies, whether it's the places we go, whatever it is, we have disobeyed God. And we, left to our own devices, will go to a place called hell. But God loved the world. And he demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who died on the cross. The Bible says that the wages or the result of sin is death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it surely will die. Jesus, who is to live forever, died taking the penalty of God against your sin and mine, taking the wrath of God against our sin upon himself, and he died on the cross for everyone here today. They took him off of that cross and they put him in a tomb, a cave as it were, and they rolled a stone in front of it. For one day he was there. For two days he was there. But on the third day by resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead and he lives today and he'll live forever, never to die again. He did that for you. Someone's here needing to hear that. He did it all. You don't have to do anything to get saved other than receive His gift of salvation. How do you receive it? Is there a card to fill out? Is there something I punch into my computer? Do I send an email confirmation? No. The way you receive it is three ways. First, you must repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Second, put your faith in what Jesus did, not what you can do for yourself or anyone else can do for you or anyone said about you. You put your faith in Jesus. And the Bible says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today in this service, at the end, we're going to have the pastors down here, other counselors that will be here. Today we want to explain to you how you can turn away from your disobedience, put your faith in Jesus, and call on his name. And if you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you went through the motions, but you know you're no longer, you're not really forgiven by God, you never were forgiven by God, today we want to invite you to come down. Some of you say, what are they going to think? Let me tell you what the people of this church are going to think. They're going to think, praise God, one more is in the kingdom. Nobody's going to be embarrassed, nobody's going to be looking at you, looking at you strange. They'll probably clap and rejoice. And today I call you, having heard the gospel, to believe. The Bible says, hearing, they believed, and then they were baptized. Some of you are here today, and you grew up in a different faith tradition other than being a Baptist. And we all grow up where our parents are, right? We, we, we can't do that. Maybe you were sprinkled as a young little child, or maybe you were a Baptist and you got baptized, but your belief came later. We believe as Baptists not just in being put under because Jesus died, was buried and raised, but we believe that your baptism must be on the right side of your salvation. Some of you are here today and you've never, you've, you've been a Christian, you've become a Christian, but you've never showed everybody that Jesus lived, he died and was buried, and he was raised again. That you have been buried with Christ in baptism, but raised to walk in a new life. And today, the invitation for you, if you're already a Christian, if your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation, or you've never been baptized after believing, we want you to come and talk to the pastors about how you can make that right today. Would you do that? If you believe, you're baptized, and then, number three, you belong. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 11. He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. 
It wasn't that they just prayed a prayer and you have to do that. But it wasn't just that they prayed and they never went to church. The Bible says they continued there for a year and six months. They believed, they were baptized, and they belonged. Some of you are here today and you're just a church attender and we're glad that you're here. Thank you for attending this church, but you don't belong. You say, yeah, but the people are so nice to me. They are nice to you because they're nice people. But you need to belong by becoming a member of the church. Some of you are searching for a church. Let me just tell you, if Sunday morning was like what it was this morning, let me tell you something, I would be running here. I'm almost ready to drive two and a half miles, just so, I mean two and a half hours, just so I can be a member of this church. I mean, it is great. Perhaps you need to come. You've been saying, God, I know I need to belong to a church. Would you come up today and would you talk to the pastors about how you can belong to this church? All of that goes into what Paul, his rejection, his fear, and everything else. Some of you are saying, well, how do I conquer my fear? That was the source of the cringes. Now I want to talk to you about the solution for the Corinthian cringes. And it's right here in verse 9 and 10. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And he said, do not be afraid. The last call from this text today is to probably the vast majority of you who have believed, who have been baptized, and who belong to this church. You've been silent too long. You've carried a zipped lip for far too long. And whether you know it or not, you have stored up for yourself the requirement of blood at people's hands and heads because you've kept quiet too long. I'm not here to make, listen, I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here for a guilt trip. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. Paul in Acts chapter 20 verse 26, he says, I am guilty of the blood of no one because everywhere I went I told people about Jesus. Some of you, like Paul, was tempted to do, have been silent too long. And tonight, today, God's word as a solution for you is to stop being afraid. Speak and do not be silent. You say, okay, I'm convinced I need to do it, but how do I do it? Because God has given you two special ways to overcome fear in your life. They're right here in the text, verse 10. Number one, Christ has given you his presence. He's given you his presence. In fact, when he gives the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, he said, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's give, you're not going alone. You're going with him. Look what he says. For I am with you. Speak. Don't keep silent because I am with you. I'm reminded of a story of a young boy. His name was Tim. And his mom was cooking vegetable soup, and she had forgotten the corn. And she said, Tim, go to the pantry and get me some corn. And so little Timmy went, and he went to the pantry, and it was dark. And all of a sudden, he heard the house creak. And he got afraid, and he went back to his mom. He said, Mom, I can't go in there. It's dark. And she said, I need the corn right now. Get back in there. But she, she said, no, he's not going to do it that way. She said, Timmy, I want you to go back to the pantry and I want you to get me some corn. And if it's dark, that's okay. Just think, Jesus may be in there with you. Well, that kind of just comforted little Timmy's heart. And so he ran back to the pantry there to the threshold of the door. And he got ready to walk in, but he got scared. Got dark. Heard those creaks. And he got ready to run back to his mama, but he remembered, perhaps, Jesus may be in the pantry with you. And you know what he did? He took one step toward the pantry and he said, Jesus... If you're in there, hand me a can of corn, you know. <laughs> Friends, some of you have kept silent too long because you don't know Jesus. Friends, God's word says he is with you. Perhaps today you need to come to the altar and say, Dear God, I have not trusted in your presence with me and I need to evangelize. That's a solution. The second thing is, not only did he give his presence, but his protection. He says, no one will attack or hurt you because I've got many people in this city. Today, this church is launching an evangelism team. And it's not just a group of the pastors and deacons, but I want you to know who's on the evangelism team. Pastor, I'm going to go ahead and announce it to him. Is that okay? All right. Everyone right here, you're a part of the evangelism team. Those of you up there in the balcony on this side, you didn't know this, but you all are part of the evangelism team of this church. Those of you here on the floor, friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a member of this church, you're a member of this church's evangelism team. 
It's not for special people. God is counting on you. Lost souls are counting on you. Not just a few, but all of you to get out into Longview, Texas and tell people how they can be saved from their sins through Jesus. So I ask you, what will be your response? As our musicians make their way to the front, the pastors are here at the front. They're making their way. I want to know, will you respond? And as they're doing that, as people are making their way, some of you today have never believed in Jesus. I told you exactly what you need to do. You need to repent of your sins. You need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to call on his name. We're going to have some of the pastors and counselors right up here. It's going to be available to help you in that decision in just a moment. Some of you are here and you believe, but you've never been baptized. The pastors are here to explain to you the process so that maybe next week or the week after, you too can be up in the baptistry and proclaim to everyone that Jesus died, was buried, and raised. Some of you are here today and you don't belong to a church. You attend a church, but you don't belong. And today, God is giving you an opportunity to begin the process of belonging to this church. I wonder, would you come? And then finally, maybe this altar would just be filled with people saying, Dear God, I've kept silent too long. Forgive me for my silence. But this day, I'm putting a stone of remembrance in the ground saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in your presence. I'm going to trust in your protection. Lord, use me to win this world to Christ. As we stand, I wonder if you are being called to come. Don't wait. You come as the Lord calls. Everyone needs compassion, God that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. Will you come? The hope of He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Would you come? God's calling you. Would you come? Take me as you find me All my fears and failures Fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I
my God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. said amen. amen can we sing another verse brother Aaron we're not through if God's still speaking to your heart come on come Everyone on step out come needs on compassion. the time to do business with God that's is when God's doing business with you come on anyone else let mercy fall on me everyone needs forgiveness Kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. As you find me, all my fears and failures fill my life again. Give my life to follow everything I believe in. Would you still come? Now I surrender. I surrender. seated. Praise the Lord. Let me make some announcements here just real quickly and then we'll be on our way. Don't forget Saturday morning, 1030 extravaganza. We've never done it this way before. We need uh, uh, some, uh, uh, some more cars. Uh, we're decorating cars up like trunk or treat 
and we're doing it with decorations, the empty tomb, different things. Christy will help you decorate your car. We just need you to volunteer your car. And then the kids are gonna go through the line and they'll play games and they'll see the decorations and they'll hear the story of the resurrection and get eggs and, and get candy and all of that and, and uh, be at the end of it there. It's a whole family thing. So all of you need to participate in that. And then if you were, uh, some of you were bringing sugar cookies. Uh, why does this thing want to stop up on me? Some of you are bringing sugar cookies and uh, please... Uh, 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 have them here if you can Wednesday night. Uh, that would be a, a tremendous blessing, okay? Don't forget, next Sunday, a new Sunday school class starts. Young men. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jan. Amen. <laughs> Man, God's in the miracle business. He still works miracles. Amen. Don't you feel sorry for these folk who think all the miracles are over with? My soul. God still heals and man, praise the Lord. Uh, right after this, uh, over in the Grand Hall, the building in the back, we'll have uh, soup and sand, uh, salads and uh, we'll also have uh, uh, pizza, and then our children will have children's choir while the seminar is going on. So your children will have somewhere to go, preschoolers and children also, and be a part of that. Stay with us and help us. Don't forget, bring diapers, uh, three, four, and fives, uh, and that's ending, is it this whole month? It's the month of April. Okay, bring those and help us with that. Uh, Building for Eternity is having a meeting today after the seminar. Uh, be sure you're here for that. Next Sunday morning.